With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Pick up a 12-pack today. Enjoy your HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, Hawkeyes caught a bye this week. Hope you all enjoyed getting out and about, doing some things. Probably just watched a lot more college football of other teams than you normally did. What a crazy weekend it was uh, in the sport. Four top ten teams would lose uh, this week. We'll get to some of those things here a little bit later on when we talk, uh, when we go outside of the Big Ten. Let's start in the Big Ten, Steve, but before we go into games, some Probably the biggest news of the day in the Big Ten, and that's Nebraska has hired a new athletic director. His name is Bill Moose. Uh, he was the AD at Washington State. He hired Mike Leach uh, to take over that position. Um, he worked as the AD at Oregon uh, back in the mid-90s through the mid-2000s. And I think you may have tweeted this. doesn't really have any ties to the Midwest. Not really sure if that's as important as having a head coach with ties to the Midwest. But what are your initial thoughts on Nebraska's hiring of Bill Moose? Well, he has no ties to the school, has no ties to the conference, to the region. He's 66 years old. Nice resume, but nothing that blows you away. Um, Yeah, he hired Mike Leach. Hired Mike Leach at at a time in his career when... Um, he should not have been available. Uh, he was coming off the 2008 Texas Tech team that got as high as number two in the country. That had Michael Crabtree on it, and he had the situation with Craig James's kid. That's why he lost his gig there. So I don't know how much credit. It wasn't like he lured him away. I mean, he essentially hired Mike Leach when he had been Mark Mangino'd, and it worked out. You know, Washington State football has been, you know essentially in the gutter for a decade, um, you know, when they had good teams in the late 90s and early 2000s, actually went to a couple of Rose Bowls with Mike Price before he left and went to Alabama, and he didn't even last a summer there because of a stripper scandal. So I'm bringing all this context up because I've seen this story with Nebraska before. Guy, towards the end of his career, brought in from the West Coast, nice career nothing that blows you away and it does this sound familiar oh yeah it's mike riley i mean this made the mike riley of ad hires i I don't i don't get this at all i don't it makes absolutely no sense to me at all and if they wanted to go and reinvent their culture and essentially reboot their athletic department, 
then why don't you get a guy who's 46 years old? Go hire your own Jamie Pollard then. This makes no sense. If you're going to bring in somebody who's 66 years old, have him be like Tom, you know, Osborne, second cousin, accountant. Um, but you don't bring in a guy who's 66 years old to revive to, to 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 control alt delete an athletic department. I mean, that's a three to five year job, and that's if it works. So this sounds a lot like the Riley podcast we did back on December 4th, yeah, I just, 2014. Because that's what I just it's they just hired the Mike Riley of ads. Per, I've been reading about it, personable, nice guy. I, I read this story already. Again, guy from the West Coast. It's a nice career. Nothing that blows you away. I, I, I just, you know, I I don't think you get much credit for hiring Mike Leach when you normally would not be able to get him and you only got him because he needed to take any gig he could get coming off of how Texas Tech went down. So... I don't know, man. I, I, <laughs> this is a bad investment by the Big Ten Conference, and I'll just leave it at that. I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. And I think I think whatever the odds are, they were going to land Scott Frost have been halved. Why? No ties at all to him. No assurance that from Frost at all that he'll be given things previous coaches and others did not get. I mean, the reason, and I think this is very analogous between Frost and Harbaugh, even though Harbaugh had more of a, a resume, but the circumstances between two favorite sons trying to be brought home when they're the when they are, you know, the very the, the hotness candidate are similar. How was Michigan able to hire Harbaugh with an interim AD? Well, it wasn't just any interim AD. The guy ran, the guy ran Steelcase, one of the biggest companies in Michigan, for years. He played football at the University of Michigan. Everybody knew him. He had a, I mean, he, he came from the very bow era that Harbaugh came from. And right now, Scott Frost is looking like the Tom Herman of 2017. So you've got two options out there. If you want to make a splash in 2017, and if, you know, right now it doesn't look like A&M's going to be open, but let's face it, if he, if he, if, if Kevin Sumlin, you know, him being five and two in the middle of October is nothing new. If they have a November like they typically have, he gone. We know Tennessee, he gone. I'm telling you right now, man. If I was Gus Malzahn, I I would at least have a I, I'd at least have a realtor nearby. I mean, you got an AD there in Auburn that may be on the way out, and you know, yeah. Well, Steve, they were in a major bowl last year. Well, but they went eight and four, and that loss they had yesterday was borderline inexcusable, and he totally mismanaged that game. Um, you look at um, UCLA, might be a coaching change out there. Uh, I, I, and we're not even talking about when, when if, if the NFL comes calling for any of these people either. So I think Scott Frost is going to probably be able to pick his job. Scott Frost and Chip Kelly are 1-1A one one for this coaching carousel. And it, it, the order you put them in just comes down to whether you're willing to put up with the baggage of Chip Kelly from an NCAA standpoint or not. And if you are, then he's probably number one. Although here's the thing with Chip Kelly, he's openly out there telling people he's not a huge fan of recruiting. So I don't know. I'm just saying he, Scott Frost, 
is going to be able to pick the job he wants to go to. And, you know, if if you have an administration at Nebraska that decides to stop him in an airport terminal and ask him about his graduation rate, see that as Bob Stoops in Iowa and Oklahoma sitting over there saying, hey, we got a blank check for you. Um, I can see him taking that position. I, I, I just don't think this is a I, I don't I don't see what it adds for them that they didn't already have. I don't see that it that it that it sends a signal they're going to be able to return to who they once were. It strikes me as another quest to create an identity. What? Who are they? What is their identity? I just cannot believe that that level of success for decades has been able to produce so little fruit for future generations to build off of and either that doesn't exist or you've had now several administrations at the university of nebraska that are ashamed of it and feel as if it's it's that that their mandate is to um hit the control alt delete button well how many control alt delete buttons is this for nebraska now john it's been 15 years worth of control alt delete buttons right Callahan so I, I and Pelini yeah, and, they brought, and Riley. You bring, and... you bring Osborne back, and yeah, Pelini lost four games every year, but he won nine games every year too. You know, if you're a Nebraska fan, the Pelini era probably looks pretty damn good right about now. I mean, the last two weeks they have been utterly humiliated on national television. They had not lost a home game since 2008 at night. I mean, a night home game. They had, and, and before that, you had to go back to Washington with Billy Joe Hobart and Napoleon Kaufman. They were the number one team in the country. That was 1991 was the last time they lost a home game at night prior to 08. And these last two these last two weeks, America has watched them getting boat raced, housed, annihilated, polaxed, depanted. Pick your adjective, um, uh, you know, uh, from Cadillac programs in the Big Ten. I, I don't know that I don't know what the hell they're doing there. And, and I don't know that they know. Yeah, that's. Frankly, I, I think if ten, you know, if, if I'm Scott Frost, and again, I, I can't place a a level of value on my Husker roots and heritage. Who knows? I mean, I don't know if Nebraska is the end all be all position for him. People like to assume that it is because he's from there, but he's down in Central Florida now. He is able to get certain types of players there that he's not going to be able to get at Nebraska. And that's not to say that Nebraska can't land four-star players. And that's not to say that's what he's landing at Central Florida. But he's getting guys. Central Florida's admission standards are different than Big Ten universities. They just are. And he's also able to get some guys there that he probably wouldn't be able to get at Nebraska. I think that if Tennessee came calling, and I agree with you, I think Frost, with what he's doing, he probably is this year's Tom Herman. And if Tennessee comes calling, uh, they're in the right division of the SEC right about now. Mm-hmm. That's a much I – mean, and, and then again, Nebraska's in the right division of the Big Ten. But I think I can – I could probably recruit and play a style of football more consistently and easier – at Tennessee, with the style that I've been doing at Oregon, the style that I'm using at Central Florida, then I can do that at Nebraska. Because if he comes to Nebraska, 
I don't believe he's going to be able to employ that style um, repeatedly and successfully. Well, the, the, the player angle at Central Florida, I don't think that matters as much as it did in the BCS era. You know, in the BCS era, you, know, you remember a few years ago when we were going into the playoff, and I, t- I said on our podcast then that I thought, um, or when we were doing our radio show back then, I said that I thought Chris Peterson's days at Boise State were numbered. And how many jobs had he, had, had he been a room in four and he had turned down? Well, in the, in the BCS era, when you know there's going to be, when you know you're going to have one of those spots every year, and if you're Boise State, you schedule a Virginia Tech, you know, uh, or somebody like that in, in September at a neutral site, you beat them and then Blitzkrieg the rest of your schedule the rest of the year, you're in one of those games. And that's a nice living. That, that era is gone now um, because it's about the playoff. And no school from the group of fives ever making the playoff, ever. And I think when they expand it, no school from the group of five will make, be making the play. There will not be – if we ever go – when we go to eight, I don't believe there will be a spot for the group of five. That's what, that's what breaking away and autonomy and everything else is for. Um, when you look at what these – the American Conference, Conference USA, they're giving money back now for TV rights. That's why they're playing Tuesday nights and Fridays at 3 a.m. because they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. So this is essentially now everything outside the Power Five in Notre Dame is basically um, semi-pro, triple-A baseball breeding grounds to get a Power Five job. So he's good at jump. There's no doubt about that. Tom Herman almost took the South Carolina job three years ago at Houston after one year. The only reason he did not is South Carolina lost to VMI, Virginia Military Institute, and so he didn't think they had any good players, so he couldn't win there. So people aren't holding out. People are going to take power every you're, This is why Matt Campbell, Iowa State gets Matt Campbell. When in the BCS era, they might not have gotten him. He might have been just held out for a year or two. But in the playoff era, the reality is if you don't have one of these power five jobs, you're just not relevant, period. End of sentence. That's all there is. There isn't any more. That's all that matters. So these guys aren't going to stay there for in these schools for very long anymore. Well, Steve, what about like Rocky Long at San Diego State? He's 71 years old. So people are moving on. This is this go this brings us back to Frost. So if I'm Scott Frost, I get hired in Nebraska. Then I'm Moses on day one. I, I came down from from Mount Sinai with stone tablets, and there's nothing else there. Okay, nothing else there. Which means if I can't turn it around right away, I'm, my career is crushed. And I don't have an AD there that has – I don't have – Trev Alberts is not my AD. Tom Osborne's not my AD, meaning somebody else who's Mr. Nebraska. Somebody else who can insulate me so that I can just do my job. Now that you bring in this I, – I, I, just for fun, I read Steve Sipple's commentary today. Uh, from the Lincoln Journal Star. And first thing he wrote was, when I first heard of this guy, to find out who he was. Yeah. Which means when you go out on the Husker Club circuit this coming this coming summer, you go out there and hire Scott Frost, no one cares what the AD says. He's everything and, and, and everyone all at once, which is going to make coaching that team even harder because they're going to demand you're going to do all the fundraising, everything, because right now you're the only commodity. 
at, 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 at Michigan, they've got a borderline Hall of Fame basketball coach there in John Beeline. And, and they, have a, they have other things going on there. So Harbaugh, yes, he's a big star. But he can still be eccentric and aloof. Notice he only does press conferences when he has to. He doesn't do a lot of media appearances. You don't see him speaking 25 times a year at the M Club. Except on, his own, except on his own podcast and Amazon TV show. Whenever, he, he gets to do whatever he wants. That's right. But there's other things at Michigan, as big of a star as he is, there's other things for us as Michigan fans to distract us. No such things exist at Nebraska. They even exist at Iowa, where we have a rabid basketball fan base. You have wrestling. No such other thing exists at Nebraska. You're everything, man, everything. And now you bring in this AD who's a nobody, who if you go there, he essentially, you're not going to lean on him, John. He's going to lean on you. He's going to have you calling donors. He's going to have you calling the, the, the Husker Network when, you know, when, hey, you go to him and say, you know what, man, we need to upgrade our weight room. He's going to be like, who do you think we should call? He's not going to freaking know. You're going to do all of that. That is a heavy lift, John, a very heavy lift. It's not an easy place to just coach now. They don't have the recruiting base. They don't have the identity as it is. Now, on top of that, you're essentially going to be the de facto AD at the same time, meaning you will be you will be heavy involved in all of those decisions. And as the football coach, you want to be the guy you want to have enough clout that they don't make those decisions without you. But that is that's different than they you actually have to help them implement those decisions at the same time. And maybe you can do that. When you have a program that's already established and, you know, you're in year eight, nine or ten and things are kind of on cruise control. But, you know, they're not there. This is a rebuilding job again. I, I think this AD hire makes it far more difficult for them to land him for all the reasons I just, I just articulated. No, those are good reasons. And, and some of the things you're describing, they remind me of um, Kirk Ferentz when he felt like he had to go out and raise the funds for that practice facility. Uh, that they built and how he spoke uh, after that and during some of those couple of rough years a few years back that he was stepping away and going to go back to focusing just on football and that some of the fundraising demands had gotten to be too much. So those Brian Kelly just said the same thing at Notre Dame before the season started. He openly said the biggest thing when he when he evaluated what happened when they went four and eight beyond coaching changes that needed to be made is he was spending too much time doing administrative fundraising and not enough time with his team. Well, again, (laughs) Brian Kelly's been to a national championship game. You know, he was one, he was five and a half seconds away from being in the, in the college football playoff in 2015. So, you mean to tell me a guy who's an established head coach can find himself in year six so distracted by those demands that he thinks it goes a long way in his team going four and eight? And now you're going to ask Scott Frost to come in there. John, It's there are going to be people lined up to touch the hem of his garment, man. Okay? And there's nobody else there. There's no other star there. No one else around. He's the whole show that is a heavy load 
to carry. A very heavy load. Indeed. Also, a heavy load were the Ohio State Buckeyes on Saturday night. That was one of the... I mean, that's what I would expect to see when Ohio State plays Rutgers. I mean, Ohio State's was at first seven positions. They haven't punted against Nebraska in five years. Is that really true? I saw that today yeah. and thought it was a typo. Yes. They have not punted against Nebraska in five years. I wonder if that's ever happened in the history of Power 5 against Power 5 football, even back when I just no, never, Northwestern I never, was I, horrible. I never thought I'd see it. I mean, when we were down and people were buying, you know, getting a, Coke, a, a ticket with a Coke Zero, we could at least we were at least competitive with Ohio State. I mean, we were losing all these games, but they weren't fifty-five to fourteen. If you're new to this podcast, he means Michigan by when he says we. Yes, I, I never. If you would go back, you know, because I'm now that I'm I'm in total midlife crisis mode at the moment, you know, for the last few months. So, would you buy like Corvette? Uh, I'm, I'm contemplating it, but. If you'd have gone back and said to me 20 years ago, this is where Nebraska football would be, I just never in a million years, no. never, never. It's, it's it, I, and I just I, I I I just wonder between Nebraska, the hot mess that is Rutgers' entire athletic department, and the scandal there with the AD and everything else. Now the NCAA probation with the former coach. And now you got the Maryland athletic departments in an uproar now, maybe getting rid of their AD because he wants to go to Cal. I wonder if, you know, they sit over there. Is it Lake Forest, Illinois? Is that where the Big Ten offices are? It's close enough. Yeah, I wonder if they if they wanted any, any do-overs from how this whole thing went down. Then again, okay, so they took Nebraska instead of Missouri – well, you dodged a bullet there because Missouri decided to Colin Kaepernick itself, and now their um, entire uh, student population, their student enrollment has plummeted the last few years on top of their football program. Yeah, they got empty, empty dorms. Yeah, the basketball program is in NCAA, you know, scandal hell. So, Well, not only that, the basketball program is just waiting to go back on probation with how the way they've been recruiting, Yeah, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean— Ohio State, from the halftime of the Wisconsin game through the point when Ohio State put its backups up on the, on the field, there was 11 straight possessions, if you don't count the two-possession kneel down Wisconsin had to end that game, 11 straight possessions by Nebraska opponents, 11 touchdowns. I mean, that's stunning, absolutely stunning. And you mentioned that they hadn't forced a punt for Ohio State since 2012, which I can't even, I still don't even believe that's real. I mean, this is, the thing I, when I was watching the Ohio State-Nebraska game, and the thing that I was blown away by, was it looked almost like Ohio State against an FCS team with the way they were dominating both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah. JT Barrett had over four seconds Sometimes five I know. I know. on every passing attempt. And Nebraska's offensive line just couldn't hold it. And, and we've been that's been the problem for Nebraska for the last five years has been the line of scrimmage. And, and this is the area, Steve, that Nebraska has been most bankable on through all of our lives is, is strength and ability to at least stand their own ground at the line of scrimmage and whomever this next coach will be. That is a problem 
as you know, as a Michigan fan who had line of scrimmage issues of their own prior to Harbaugh arriving, that is not something that's curable overnight, and that's not something that's a guarantee that every new coach will be able to come in and cure. That's no. the biggest problem. No, it, it's it's a loss of brand identity. We don't hear about the vaunted walk-on program anymore. We don't really know who they are. You know, it's so it's so interesting too. We should go back and listen to some of the shows we did in the spring because. I think this year I probably watched 30 or 40 spring games around the country. And ever since the first the first spring game I ever the, the first spring game I ever covered, I actually was a guest coach in at Iowa State and it was Seneca Wallace's first first spring. So I didn't really I, I wasn't really following it as an analyst. The next year I went to Iowa spring game, they had theirs before Iowa State. And this was the spring game where Brad Banks had not played at all the previous year because he didn't know the playbook. And he comes out in this spring game and he throws like 380 yards or something. And one thing I learned from that spring game that has proven to be true, every I went to a Michigan spring where I got where I was able to get access to some scrimmages in Brady Hoke's first year um, that they offered during coaching clinics, and 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 the same thing happened there. I, the team you are in the spring is who you are. I've, I've never not seen that be the case. I mean, I'm watching that with Michigan right now. What did we talk about after Michigan spring game on this podcast? Do you remember? Well, I would boy, guess these, it's like that their offense sucks. Yeah, what we talked about was, boy, these young guys don't look like they're freshmen. Boy, that defense is going to be really good. And what the hell was that performance from Wilton Spate? What have we talked about for Michigan this entire season, John? Boy, these young guys don't look like freshmen. That defense is going to be really good. And what the hell happened to the quarterback position? Is Everywhere I've ever covered a team or watched it, the team you are in the spring is who you are. Now, some guys will get better and, 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 and this and that, but the basic shell of your team, you know, that, that, that Brad Banks out of nowhere is throwing for 380 yards. How did he finish that year? Second to the Heisman Trophy balloting. That, that, the offseason, January, February, March, and April is really when your team is forged. That's really the the framework identity of your team comes then. And then individual players get better during the summer. And then it, then we get into training camp, and it's about now you compete for positions. And then it's about preparation for the season. And then really, player that's because by the, from training camp on, player development for your young guys is pretty much on hold because you're developing the guys that are going to play. And, you don't, and then the young guys really don't get a lot of development again this is why it was so big for Dan McCartney to get to bowl games at Iowa State because you got those extra 15 practices for your bowl, and that's when you would see that's when that was really the first time from from the spring game because coaches can't work with players during the off season, and and once we get a week or two into training camp, you got to get your team ready to compete. So really, from the spring game until bowl practices is really when is the, is not is is the next time you really the coaches have to truly work with their younger players. And that's when they'll let them hit and hit against the older players because you're not as concerned about injuries unless you're playing in a major championship game. You're not as concerned about injuries. And so those young guys go four or five months where they're not getting the attention that the guys who are getting ready to be prepared to play do. And that's why when most of the time the framework of the team you have coming out of the spring is the team that you have. And when we wa- when we were here watching Nebraska, what did I say? First of all, they weren't running. The- they wouldn't even. They're, they're, they they were so far behind implementing Diaco's defense. They didn't run in the spring. Remember we talked about that. Mm-hmm. 
They weren't. They wouldn't. They w- didn't put the three-four defense on display. Secondly, what did I say about once I got past the first string? I could not. There was a noticeable size difference in the second string guys. The depth just was not there. And what do you see here? Well, when you tell me that kind of a stat against Ohio State, that tells particularly this time of the year now. You're seeing injuries. Guys are getting worn down. Got you have to play more guys than you started having to play in September. They just uh, the, the the ability isn't there physically. They had a good recruiting class this year. They have an even better one, maybe, for next year. But they already lost one key recruit to that, and I think you're going to see even more of that. All right? I mean, every coach in the country right now is calling Tennessee and Nebraska. Tennessee's class is rated, I think, number one by ESPN. And everybody, everybody in America right now is calling Nebraska and Tennessee's recruits. Why? Because here's the, uh, we still have this newfangled angle to this that you and I talked about a few weeks ago. That we're gonna, that a lot of people aren't talking about, but it's gonna be a major factor, and it's this early signing period in December, and that gives you less of a time to think about what to do with a coach, less of a time to then hire a replacement, because you're talking about how many got, how many kids are just gone by the time you even get to February. It used to be you could play out a season, get rid of a guy Thanksgiving weekend. You know, most of then you have that one week. You're really only missing one recruiting weekend in December because the rest of the period is quiet until we get past the coaching uh, coaches convention in early January. And then you have your coach in place by then and they can put two or, you know, they've got two or three weeks to put one or two kids that, you know, it's not going to be a top 15 or 20 class, but you can still come up with three or four kids. Karan Higdon, who ran for 200 yards for us on Saturday, won the game single handedly. Where did we get him? Well, Jim poached him away the first the flat, the two week recruiting class he had away from Iowa at the last minute, you know. So you won't be able to do that now with that early signing period in December. You're not there aren't going to be too many Karan Higgins that you can poach from other schools. That even if you don't have a you can't get a great class when you, when you're getting late, you can still come up with two, three, four, five guys that can be be key, key contributors for you. Karan Higdon, I was going to tell Karan Higdon in the future. Hey, if you don't sign now, there may not be a Power 5 scholarship for you. So you know what Karan Higgins is going to do in the future, John? Mm-hmm. He's going to sign, okay? He's going to sign. He's not going to be there in February for Michigan to poach from Iowa in the future. So I think if these ADs have got to be thinking about that as well. And I don't think too many of them are because it's something new that we haven't really game-theoried or game-planned out yet, and we don't really know how it's going to work yet. Totally agree with you. Sports have been in the news lately, and not necessarily because of the outcome of the game. Truth is, sports have always been about more than the game. Playing sports was the first time many of us ever learned what it was like to work as a team, or the first time we unlocked that competitive spirit. Listening to and watching sports triggered our imagination of what it'd be like to be a part of the starting lineup, playing alongside our heroes, or we made memories with our dad, siblings, and friends. Being a fan is special. It's a bond you have, not just with the people you watch with, but with the team you follow, too. So when you fly that team's flag on Saturdays or Sundays or walk by the wall banner in your basement or office or see another flag flying around town of your team's rival, we know it's more than just a flag. It's an emotion. It's a memory. It's your fandom manifested. And if you don't have a flag to fly, well, let us help you with that. Heartland Flagpoles and Flags has nearly every flag from every team from every sport. If you're in central Iowa, shop our store at 3719 Southwest 9th in Des Moines. Or shop us anywhere in the world, heartlandflags.com. 
Michigan beats Indiana 27-20 in overtime. And I remember when Harbaugh was hired, there were a few pundits that I, I clearly recall saying that, you know, people had some questions about Michigan. But one thing they all said was that you could take to the bank that Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback whisperer and that that is one position you would not have to worry about. Um, quarterbacks holding them back this year. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think, you know, it's it, we're at we're at the point now. They actually figured out this week. You know, we've got a lot bigger and stronger players than like everybody else we're recruiting against and playing against. So, you know, after the Michigan State loss, Mark D'Antonio said something on Tuesday at his press conference that infuriated me because it hit me. It cut me, you cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me deep, okay? And it's when he said this. In the first half, Michigan ran over 40 formations and scored three points. As I think sometimes we forget coaches are human beings like players are, you know? And I think we're watching Sam Darnold right now at USC is create, is, is, has too many turnovers because I think he's too aware of how good he is. And when you're told all offseason you're the number one pick in the draft and the Heisman Trophy favorite, I do think you feel like you should be – and you're in L.A. I think you do sometimes feel like you should be making an All-American play every play. I think Baker Mayfield ran into that against Iowa State last week. He refused to take dump-off passes that could have created yardage, probably turned the tide of that game because he was out there trying to hit the home run rather than an RBI single or a ground rule double. And I think for Coach Harbaugh and all these NFL coaches and this highly paid staff, I think there's too much razzle-dazzle, too many formations, too much this and that. And, and they had to do that the first year when, you know, you're taking over a program that had bottomed out. And, you know, you don't really know how good Jake Rudock is. And you don't really know how much you can really – how physically you can maul teams with an offensive line that got the quarterback the previous year nearly decapitated. But now – with three, two, three full classes of recruits in, this week they finally figured out, you know what we're going to do? Not a damn thing. We are going hat on a hat, man ball, and we're just going to move Indiana like Michigan ought to be able to move Indiana. And it worked. Everything, the pocket was relatively clean. They rushed the ball very well. And in spite of that, your quarterback is 10 for 20 for 58 yards when you're running the ball like that hmm. that tells you right then and there you're just not good okay so I, I you don't put brandon peters your prized redshirt freshman in that you've been holding out because apparently he's not ready what have you you don't put him in in the open for his first game on against penn state at a whiteout saturday night but barring john o'corn being great I suspect Brandon Peters is going to start the next game against Rutgers because you look at what Indiana did here. Indiana had a redshirt freshman who better fits the system they want to run. They started him last week against Charleston, Charleston Southern, let him get some confidence so that they wouldn't make his first start against Michigan. First three quarters, he was in way over his head. But he made some key plays in the fourth quarter of that game. And these weren't just throw it up to Simi Cobb and he out jumps everybody. He was scrambling around, finding his second and third option, throwing, hitting passes over the middle. And I'm telling you, Indiana's going to be a tough out the rest of the season because they do have a decent defense, particularly in the back seven. And, and now they got a kid with a, a quarterback who's got a little confidence after the way he played against 
what's likely the best defense he's going to see this year because he wasn't the quarterback when they played Ohio State. So I think they'll be a tough out the rest of the year. I suspect you'll see Michigan take that same route after this week with Rutgers and Minnesota the next two games at home to get ready for the the close of November, which specifically, uh, you know, Wisconsin and Ohio State. Because at this point now, I think they've figured out the offensive line. I think they've figured out the running game. The receiver position is very talented. They just have young guys there, and that takes time. The quarterback position is dreadful. And and I don't – if Brandon Peters has full motor function and is a carbon-based life form, he has to be better than John O'Corn. It cannot possibly be worse than this. Yeah, 16 penalties for 141 yards doesn't help. I think that's a Michigan record. It um, is. Most of those were on defense, too. Yeah. Most of those were on the defense. That's, again, it, young teams, man. I, I've – this year for being a Michigan fan, John, has been the football equivalent of raising teenagers. That's what it's been like. I listened to the entire game. I was out working in the yard for about eight hours on Saturday and uh, got to listen to Dan Deardorff. Actually, he was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy listening to college football on the radio. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, so it's a totally different experience and one that I thoroughly enjoy. Wisconsin beats Purdue 17-9. to And, you know... I can give Wisconsin the benefit of the doubt here a little bit just because of the fact last week's game, you know, nice roll it up against uh, Nebraska the way that they did. Hornybrook was okay. I mean, a typical Wisconsin game managing quarterback, 13 of 18, 199, although we did have two interceptions. Jonathan Taylor was sensational again, 30 carries for 219 yards. Purdue throws for 155, only only uh, runs for 66, but they were plus two in turnovers. I believe that they have a block punt for a touchdown or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or, or something close to that. So it was it, it was it was very ugly. Wisconsin doubled them up in time of possession, doubled them up in yards, nearly doubled them up in third downs. Almost just seemed like Wisconsin slept walk through that. I give up, man. So I've not bought in this whole time. And when I say not bought in, what I mean is I think they're pretty good. But I'm not bought into the they're the best team in the Big Ten hype. All right, so I decide, you know what, mea culpa. I give up. And then they, they play this game against Purdue, who is probably the best team they've played so far this year. Now, I'm not normally – I don't believe in transitive properties and comparative scoring, but I do think you can look at teams that are relatively similar in style. So I look at Michigan and Wisconsin, similar teams, great defenses, lack of explosion on offense. Well, we played them at their place when they were the most confident they had been in years. They had 10 yards in the second half, and we won 28-10 to 10 with O'Corn at quarterback. Wisconsin plays them at home, and it's 17-9. to nine. I, I, don't, I don't think they're that. I'm just going I'm, I'm to stick with I don't think they're that good. Now, I don't know how good they have to be in the division they're in. But their schedule is, 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 is abysmal. They're, it, it, they're Michigan's team with a worse schedule. Here's their, I mean, yeah, that's the, essentially what they are. Yeah, their schedule, they, they play um, Maryland this coming weekend at home. Then they're at Illinois. Maryland looks like they're done. Yeah, it looks like the, th- the quarterback situation is, is gonna, is, has finally done them in. And you know what? We, we thought for sure it was easy. That three, that over three and a half, right? That was my over best bet for season win totals. Look at the rest of Maryland's schedule and tell me where you definitely think a fourth win is right. coming from yep. with that third string quarterback. Right. 
freaking Vegas, man. Freaking Vegas. Yeah, it's Unbelievable. Crazy. So Maryland, um, Illinois, then at Indiana, then against Iowa at home. I could see at Indiana being a problem. Indiana's back seven on defense is the best they've had in years. Indiana's number two in the nation in three and outs next to Michigan. Which is crazy. I could I could see that being an issue. Iowa at home, Michigan at home, and then at Minnesota. So that's that's pretty soft pretty soft. I, I don't think they win out. I don't. I just don't. I think I think that they're I think that I I, I, I just don't think they're that good. And I think I think Iowa and Michigan specifically have defenses capable of saying to them Alex Hornibrook will have to beat us. You beat us. And tell me where he can do that. We're going on the, the second year now. When, when have we seen that? He, he's had one truly impressive game throwing the football in his career at Wisconsin so far. On the road against what's, what is now officially the worst BYU team in 50 years. Okay? So I, I just don't think they're that good, John. I don't. Uh, they, it, it, it's the same team Michigan has, but they played a weaker schedule than Michigan. So the so the so the record's undefeated, and it looks it looks it looks better. Florida's not that great. They're by far better than anybody Wisconsin's played. Indeed, they are. Um, Michigan State, Minnesota. That game was over. Um, it was over late. I think it was thirty to seventeen or something like that, and then. Minnesota got a little run there at the end. It, it was a game that was delayed by weather. The, the, the game started 50 minutes after it was supposed to start. I don't. I, I just don't think Minnesota can hold up against physical power teams, which does not bode well for them the rest of their schedule in the division they're in. Well, you're right. I mean, would Lewerke throw for 110 yards and and Stuparty had 30 points? So that yeah. tells you. Right there. I mean, it was it was. It was L.J. Scott's L.J. Uh, Scott best left. Game. L.J. Scott right. L.J. Scott up the middle, and they just destroyed them. One hundred ninety-four phys- yards. They physically cannot match up. Yeah, they, they, they did. Cannot. Yeah, there's this just the boat is uh, is leaking uh, water. Rutgers beat Illinois. Congratulations to Rutgers. That the only thing that game did, Steve, was made it clear to us who's the worst team in the league. Yeah, just. I feel bad for Levy Smith, man. Good man, good coach, but it doesn't look like it's, that's going to translate, brother. It just doesn't. No, it, it does not, and we question whether or not it would. As I'm trying to avoid ESP, I I really wish you could turn off these automatic advertisements, but it, or automatic videos. Clayton Thorson for Northwestern quarterback. That Northwestern wins 37-21 over Maryland. Thorson, uh, 293 yards, 49 passing attempts. Justin Jackson became Northwestern's all-time leading rusher, 171 yards on 28 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, being the Iowa fan that I am, and by the way, that line has opened uh, at the win as a pick I'm actually glad Northwestern won this game. Um, I mean, if they would have lost this game, part of me thinks that you know the only thing they would have had left was Fitz's angst. Or maybe you could say if they would have lost, maybe they would have given up hope, but now they still have some. I don't know. What do you think? If I were an Iowa fan, I would have preferred that they lost, actually. Um, I think this will – I think it's a galvanizer. Um, I think that it likely saves their season. They're 3-3. Uh, you've three. already talked me out of it. <laughs> I think there's a big difference between being 2-4 and four and 3-3. Three and three. When you're Northwestern and, you're, and, and essentially bowl eligibility is, is, is still a successful season for you. 
Uh, and you've already and you look at your schedule the rest of the way. You've already played Wisconsin, and that's probably the only team in your division that you think going in you are a definitive underdog against. So I think it breathes new life into them. I do. I think I think it's similar to what happened to Michigan with with Michigan State bouncing back and beating Iowa. I think if Michigan State had lost to Notre Dame like that with five turnovers and then you lose to Iowa the next week, that's when you start looking at each other and thinking, yeah, maybe we haven't really turned this thing around. And I think that's I think Northwestern found some I don't think they're that good. You know, so you know, I think physically Iowa's better, but if but emotionally, if you were kind of wanting their daubers to be down, or you were thinking they were going to be like, well, we got back, you know, we're not going to be as desperate. I I kind of see it the other way. I think it probably gives them uh, a second wind yeah, emotionally. You're probably right. Nationally, as I mentioned to start with, four of the top ten teams lost this week. It's not often that happens, although it does seem seven like ranked teams in all. Seven, lost. yeah, seven in all. Um, Clemson loses on Friday night, twenty-seven twenty-four to Syracuse at Syracuse. In our office pool, uh, I picked Syracuse to cover the spread. But, you know, Clemson losing their starting quarterback to a concussion, that certainly had a big deal there. California just absolutely crushed Washington State in the nightcap, 37-3. to uh, Auburn snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, losing at LSU. Yeah, they did. And they, were they, were yep. they 20 to nothing, something like 20 that? 20 to nothing in that game. In fact, at one point, Auburn was up 20 to nothing. Texas was up – or Oklahoma was up 17 to nothing. And they both fell behind in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma ultimately came back, but Auburn could not. And then uh, number five, Washington, losing 13-7 to Arizona State. That was a bit of a shocker. That was an upset I called in the preseason. That was an upset I called here on the podcast last week. Three road games in four weeks for Washington. And um, you look at this past weekend. It was the first time since Thanksgiving weekend of 2009 that we had no games against ranked teams. And that week, four ranked teams lost. Well, this week we had, as we mentioned before, seven ranked teams lose. And when you start looking around the country, you know, Washington's best win is Colorado. That's their best win. They have no other good wins. None. They have none. In fact, when you look at the entire Big Ten, we're halfway through the season. The Big Ten has one win as a conference, one in total, against a team that is currently ranked. And that was Sparty winning at Michigan thanks to a monsoon and Michigan being minus five in turnovers. No, The rest of this conference, halfway through the season, has no other wins against ranked teams. But this is actually not unique. Um, when you look around the country, I think I sent you the graphic. I wouldn't look at it. Within the Power Five, Clemson has the most wins against teams with winning records at the moment, four. Then there's about a half dozen teams that are tied with three, and that's it. Everybody else's conferences, everybody else's records kind of look the same. So we already we, we only have two teams, in the only three teams in the SEC have less than two losses, and one of them is Kentucky. So remember, second place in the SEC last year was eight and four. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, you know, I think Alabama's really good. Uh, I still think Clemson's really good, you know. I mean, I think they're really good. But after that, what's Penn State's win? Iowa is the only quality win Penn State has. They didn't cover the spread against 
against, uh, you know, this is the worst pit team in several years. They're terrible. And then, I mean, they didn't cover the spread against, and they're on their third string quarterback now. They didn't cover the spread against Pitt when they were on their first string quarterback. They got 200 yards rushing from Saquon Barkley, had to beat Iowa in the last play of the game. You know, Ohio State's best win is Army. Wisconsin's best win is Northwestern. Well, actually, it's Purdue now. Um, so, I don't know. You know, I mean, okay. I don't know how good a lot of these teams are. Washington's best win is Colorado, who nearly lost to Oregon State last night. So, some teams have played seven games. Most all teams have played at least six. And I think you showed, tweeted this today. I think there's only ten teams that have at least three wins against yeah. against teams with winning records in all, in all of the sport. Yeah, in all of the Power Five. I didn't look outside the Power Five because it doesn't matter. Well, but in all of true. the Power Five. So we're talking, what is that? Uh, Ten out of 65 or 66. Yeah. That's not good. No, it's not good. Good job. Man, if I'm that committee, I'm hoping the reason that this is – the and they're going to start meeting here in a couple of weeks. If I'm on that playoff committee, I hope it's because – all these leagues took a page out of the Big 12 and they backloaded their conference schedules to get as many teams as highly ranked as they possibly could. That's kind of been the Big 12 strategy. Well, Penn, Penn State's got Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan left. Yeah. Yeah. And you Ohio- see what Notre Dame has left? No. Oh, boy. Yikes. USC, NC State, Miami, and Stanford. <laughs> and Navy's in there somewhere, too, oh, by the way. Oh, man. That's their closing schedule, Sean. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's – that's wow. That is that's, wow. That's a gauntlet. So, I, you know, I don't – I had a hard time filling out my top 25 this week. You know, I, I think Stanford's one of the 25 best teams, but how do I put them in there when their best win – their only win against a team with a winning record is Oregon, who played them with a third-string quarterback. And San Diego State has a better record. They beat Stanford. So I put Iowa in there at 25 because they had more wins against teams with winning records than Stanford did. So, but I don't, I don't know how to, I, I wasn't sure how to come up with, you know, any rankings at the moment. Um, there's a guy at SB Nation, Bill Conley, that does some of the best, um, you know, analytics yes, in the college S&P football. Stuff, yeah. The S&P stuff. He's got Iowa State 28th in the nation in his metrics. 28th that's a good win you know? that's, that's a great win on iowa's resume uh yes it is which is why to me if you if you're that high on iowa state well iowa beat them when they had their starting quarterback and on the road so i don't know how you have iowa state that high and you don't better respect the team yeah. that actually defeated them uh, with the same record i don't uh, get that I, I i did notice that in the uh, others receiving votes category of the associated press iowa state had 16 and iowa had two and i'm like yeah that doesn't add up but you know what that's not a hill to die on in week six no it's not but i think i think for sure we're gonna have a two loss team in the playoff like i predicted yeah in my you thought there ball. could be multiple i thought we might see two in fact i i think those new year six spots those coveted spots in those in those showcase games, man. You know, last year you had a couple tough calls. Uh, the, the one tough call was Louisville or Florida State. Both were nine and three, and that was the rest of the teams that were in there. You know, were pretty much locked in. And then you had the SC, the the Sugar Bowl had to take Auburn as the number two SEC team. 
because that but the but the only controversial spot in there was was um you know louisville or florida state i i don't know who the group of five team would be you know i i i mean you have central florida south florida memphis navy um some of those teams are in the same league so they'll eventually play each other then you have san diego state you know i, I think i think this committee is going to have a harder time than the previous three had combined. I really do. And it won't just even be the playoff teams. It's, it's, it's going to be, you know, um, who gets those New Year's Six uh, spots. I mean, let's say Washington doesn't lose again. Now, I think they will because they play at Stanford. And remember that they, like, they like 50-burgered Stanford last year. So that's a major revenge game for Stanford. All right, so if you could see a two-loss Pac-12 champion, which I think is likely. So I think USC will lose at Notre Dame this weekend. So you could see a two-loss Pac-12 champion. I think you could certainly see a two-loss Big 12 champion unless, you know, TCU still has to play at Oklahoma and at Texas. So, okay. I, I, I think the committee is – so when you when – you, when when, for our audience, when you hear analysts talk about, well, Ohio State's really hurt by Oklahoma losing Iowa – no, they're not. No, they're not. We don't have a clue how this thing's going to play out at all. I think you're going to see at least one of these Power Five champions with two losses, at least one of them. Last thing here, um, Iowa State. When 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 the line went when their game kicked off against Oklahoma was was it thirty one and a half point underdog they were thirty three right when it kicked off. Okay, thirty three at kickoff, and Iowa State won that game by seven, right? So that's 40 points they covered the spread by. This week they were 21 point favorites. They won 45 to nothing. They covered by 24. Has any team that you can recall covered the spread in back to back games by 64 or more points? <laughs> I can't think of anything. No, I can't. I you mean, know, holy Steele, crap. Bill Steele was on ESPN Friday saying that this was his upset special, was Kansas covering the number against Iowa State, compared it to Troy getting that big win at LSU and then laying an egg against South Alabama. You know, he thought Iowa State would likely win, but it would probably be sloppy. They came out weather notwithstanding, and that looked like – now, they're not this talented. I'm not saying that. But the way they just came out there and systematically dismantled Kansas the way you're supposed to, that looked like Oklahoma against Kansas is what it looked like. I mean, Kansas physically – didn't even belong in the same field with Iowa State. Just it just physically manhandled them. That you're not used to seeing from Iowa State. You're not used to seeing that. Okay? You know, they just took them apart in all three phases of the game. They just took them apart. Indeed. That'll do it for this installment of the HM Podcast. Thank you to Exile Brewing Company. Thank you to Heartland Flag Poles and Flags for your sponsorship and support of this podcast. Steve and I will be back on Thursday. There will be more podcasts throughout the week as well as we get back into an Iowa game week. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.